I'm Vanessa Pritchard. Welcome to this podcast from Keep Believing Ministries. Today's message was given by Dr. Ray Pritchard. At Keep Believing Ministries, we want to encourage and equip people to keep believing in Jesus. You can find us online at www.keepbelieving.com. Stay tuned for this special podcast. I'm going to die, and this ring is not going with me. When he said that, he reached his hand into his blue jeans, and he pulled out his Super Bowl ring. I was about 10 feet away. Every eye in the room focused on him. And he said, this ring is great. It's wonderful. But I'm not, I'm going to die. And this ring is not going with me. That happened about 10 days ago on Word of Life Island in Scroon Lake, New York. Clint Gresham played six years for the Seattle Seahawks. He was the long snapper. During those six years, they won one Super Bowl and they lost one. I was 10 feet away. That's the closest I'm ever going to get to a Super Bowl ring. You know, those things are big. They're covered with jewels. These football teams, they pay millions and tens of millions of dollars to get the right players, the right coaches, the right preparation, and everything perfect. So at the end of the season, you win the Super Bowl. You can have a ring like that. Clint Gresham told those teenagers, it's good. It's wonderful. But if you think winning a Super Bowl will satisfy your heart, you're wrong. I'm going to die, he said. And this ring isn't going with me. Wonder what would make a man say something like that? See if we can find an answer. Open your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 12. While you're turning there, let me thank Dr. Burgraff for such kind words and I'd like to thank my friend, your pastor, Dr. Stephen Davey, who I've known for a number of years. In fact, we've preached together, Word of Life. This is my third time to be at this wonderful church. Dr. Stephen Davey is known around the country. I'm sure you know that. He's a pastor's pastor and a preacher's preacher. And I'm honored to fill the pulpit at his request this morning. My text is your text for the summer series. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might approve or prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. There's a whole lot in that verse. I can't cover it all in one sermon. Let's just take the first part and see what we can do with it. That first phrase, do not be conformed to the world. Sometimes we need to see a verse in a new light. You know, it's possible, I suppose, if you'll permit me to say this, it's possible sometimes that we can read certain verses so much that they become ingrained in us, but they've lost their power to strike us and to amaze us. And maybe that is what has happened with our text, Romans 12, 2. 
The ESV translates that first phrase this way. Do not be conformed to the world. It's true. It's good. Biblical. The New Life Version says, do not act like the people of the world. Eugene Peterson stretched it out a little bit. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. And then there is the famous rendering by J.B. Phillips, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. This is what I propose to do in the time that is before us. I simply want to examine this little phrase. Then I want us to think together about what it means for us today. Now, the general meaning is quite clear. We are not like the people around us, and we shouldn't act like them. We must not try so hard to fit into the larger culture that we no longer think and act like Christians. So, the warning is, as a Christian, you are constantly swimming upstream with the current of the world rushing against you. Don't be surprised, don't give in, and don't get swept away. Now, here at the beginning, it it seems to me that there are a couple of wrong inferences we could take from that little phrase. For instance, we might conclude that what Paul means is uh, only what we might call certain external marks of the world. Now, in another day, in another time, in another era, when preachers would come to this phrase, they would preach on against the big four sins, drinking, smoking, dancing, and card playing, or jewelry, lipstick, long hair, short skirts, or movies and rock music. Now, when I say it that way, it may sound as if I mean to make a joke. I mean no joke whatsoever. It would be easy, I suppose, to say some things, and we all know the Christian life cannot be, it can't be reduced simply to a list of do's and don'ts. But I am not here this morning to say anything negative about sermons from yesteryear, and I'll tell you why. Because even though we have changed somewhat in our approach to this text, I am not sure that dropping the rules we used to follow has produced a new wave of holiness. I'm not sure that it has. But I want to say, whatever Paul does mean, it's not primarily these external things that we used to talk about a great deal. Number two, I think it's possible also, this may be our bigger problem this morning, that we may read this and think that Paul is calling us to withdraw from the world, that we should all move out of the big cities, that maybe we should move to a desert or maybe up in the mountains and get ourselves, uh, you know, maybe a cabin, some guns, some ammo, get off the grid, so to speak, and, uh, and live life the way we want to. Well, whatever Paul means, whatever you want to say about that, that's clearly not what Paul was thinking about. Paul loved the big cities. Read the New Testament. He loved Jerusalem. He loved Ephesus. He loved Corinth. He loved Athens. He loved Rome. He did his biggest ministry in big cities. So whatever he means, it can't be simply to run and hide. So, what is Paul warning us against? Well, there are two key words in this whole phrase. If we understand them, then we'll get the point. First key word 
is the word world. Do not be conformed to the world. Now, when you hear the word world, maybe you think Paul is talking about planet, the planet Earth, this ball of dirt that we all share that is spinning along in space. Now, clearly, the word world is not talking about the planet. It's not talking about real estate. It's not talking about the ball of dirt. So we push that aside. Somebody says, well, maybe what Paul means is that we shouldn't uh, enjoy the beautiful things of this world. Well, look, whatever he does mean, it can't mean that we shouldn't enjoy the beauty of a sunset, the grandeur of Lake Tahoe, the intricate design of a single human cell, or the vastness of the universe. Still less does he mean that we shouldn't enjoy a concert or playing peekaboo with our two-year-old granddaughter or riding your bicycle across America. Whatever else you want to say, Paul is not calling us to withdraw from society and still less is he some kind of doomsday prepper. Paul plunged into the heart of the culture of his day. Evidently, Paul knew Greek, Hebrew, Latin, and Aramaic. Read his letters. He quoted the secular poets. He debated the pagan philosophers on Mars Hill in Athens. And, and some of us know that, that old southern gospel song, and I sing along whenever I hear it. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Okay, that's true. That's true. But these words by Maltby Babcock are also true. This is my father's world. The birds their carols raise, the morning light, the lily white, declare their maker's praise. This is my father's world. He shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass, I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. Okay, then. Don't be conformed to the world. Fine, Paul, what world then are you talking about? Okay, a little deeper. There are two main words in the New Testament that are translated by world. One you already know. It's the world, it's the word cosmos. We get cos, cosmetics from it. We get cosmetology from it. That word cosmos is the word that's used in 1 John 2 when the Apostle John wants to say, love not the world or the things in the world. That's the word he uses, cosmos. It has to do with the orderly arrangement of things. Now, when Dr. Ryrie, uh, when Dr. Ryrie defined the world in that sense, he gave it this definition. He says, it's the organized system headed by Satan that leaves God out. And you say, okay, where will we see this organized system headed by Satan that leaves God out. Okay, turn on the TV. Go anywhere on the Internet. Listen to modern music. Pick up People magazine. And you will see the signs of the organized system headed by Satan that leaves God out. And when John is talking to his readers in 1 John 2. That's the word he uses. We are not to love that organized system headed by Satan that leaves God out. But, but, that is not the Greek word used here in Romans 12 too. Paul here uses a different word. It's A-I-O-N. We get the English word eon from it. Eons and eons. It has to do with a long period of time. 
often translated in the New Testament by the word age. Now, the ESV says, don't be conformed to the world. That's perfectly fine. But any other translation might say, don't be conformed to this present age, to this present age. You see, from the biblical point of view, there are basically only two ages. There is this present age, and there is the age to come. There is this age in which we live, and there is the age in which Jesus Christ will return to the earth, and he will set up his kingdom on the earth, and he will rule and reign. So, if that's what Paul is saying, why are we not to love this present age? Because this age is coming to an end, and my friends, it is coming to an end soon. And when it does, everything about this age will crumble to the dust. So, middle of October, middle of October, 2001, about five weeks after 9-11, I went with a group of four other men on a ministry trip. We went first to Washington, D.C. There we stood next to the Pentagon and saw the terrible devastation. And then we drove up to Ground Zero in Manhattan. And five weeks after that terrible day, when you got out of your car, the stench, not the smell, the stench of death was everywhere. You couldn't get away from it. You almost had to cover your mouth. We walked down, and back then, it was still a smoking ruin. You could get about a block away. And as I stood there, looking at the smoking ruins of what had been the World Trade Center, and I say the following advisedly, I felt the Lord speaking to my spirit. And I felt like the Lord was saying to me, Ray, pay attention. This is what the world is coming to. This is what the world is coming to. And everything in this world ends like this. And I couldn't get that verse out of my mind. 1 John 2.17, this world is passing away and all of its desires. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So understand what Paul is saying. We live in this present age, but this present age will not last forever. We must live today in the light of tomorrow. If you want my whole sermon in one sentence, here it is. We must live in this present age, but this present age must not live in us. That's the word world. Do not be conformed. And that's the second word. It's an interesting word in Greek. It's a complex word. But we get from this Greek word, the English word scheme, and schematic, sort of a diagram of things. In the New Testament, this Greek word translated conform uh, has the idea of setting a trap for somebody, laying, laying some elaborate plan so you can catch somebody. And, and when I think about that, my mind goes to, uh, it goes to those emails that we all get every once in a while from some 
Nigerian prince who wants us to know that they have left for us $10 million. If only we will give them all of our banking information, they will make sure that the $10 million is deposited into our bank account. By the way, they're lying in case you didn't know. That's not true. That's a scheme. That's a scheme. They're trying to get your money. When A.T. Robertson great Greek scholar translated this. He said, listen to what he said. Do not take the world as your fashion plate. Wow. Wow. Now, why does Paul say we are not to follow the fashions of the world? Because this world is dying. This age will end soon. And here is the essence of worldliness. It's to live as if this age will last forever. Ever. Man, and you know, for a long time, and it may still be, there was a beer company that, that had this as their advertising slogan. You only go around in life once. Grab all the gusto you can. And you know, with a lot of advertising slogans like that one, there's partial truth there. It's right. You do only go around in life once. Life is not a dress rehearsal. You don't get a do-over. But they hook theirs into this present age. What they meant was, go for all the pleasure you can of this age. It was an invitation to indulge. So, my wife and I were flying on our way to a Bible conference in Reno, Nevada. And we had to stop in Las Vegas to change planes. And as the plane was coming in, we could see the beautiful glittering bright lights of the Strip. And we saw the Luxor and the Paris and the iconic Caesar's Palace and the Mirage, an apt name for a casino. And we saw the stratosphere that, that, that stretches up 1,000 feet above the desert floor. And everybody was so excited. And you know what they have in the uh, airport in Las Vegas? You get off the plane and right in front of you, forget baggage claim. They've got slot machines everywhere. And they can't wait. They can't wait. They want your money the moment you get get off the plane. Slot machines everywhere. And there are big ads. This star and that star. Come here. Come there. And then these others for these private clubs and these scantily clad women. And they're beckoning you to come. And they're saying, in essence, if you come and give us your money, you can fulfill any any strange or odd or dark desire that you may have. You see, Las Vegas is a perfect illustration. It's built on a false premise. I mean, what do they say? What happens in Vegas? What? Stay. See, we all know it. We all, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Here's a city where you can eat more than you should, drink until you're drunk, gamble till you're broke. You can indulge your flesh in every way your mind can imagine. And evidently, business is real good because, I mean, people were rushing to get out of the plane and spend their money and indulge themselves. And, and wait a minute, wait a minute. I did not tell that story to make anybody look bad, not even the casino owners. Look, those casinos couldn't stay in business unless there was a demand for their services. Las Vegas is just an extreme example of what Paul is talking about. It's the, un, it's the ultimate 
unvarnished appeal to live as if there were no tomorrow. That, my friends, is worldliness. Living today as if tomorrow will never come. So, what should we conclude from this? All right, here's what we should conclude. Christians don't fit in, and we never will, which is why you feel really weird sometimes, which is why you feel like you don't fit in in the classroom, on the job, in the office, talking to your neighbors. We don't fit in, and we never will. We are fools if we make conformity to this age the goal of our lives. Do you know Alice Cooper, shock rocker Alice Cooper? You may not believe this, but it's true. A few years ago, he became a Christian. It's true. And this is what Alice Cooper says. Drinking beer is easy. Trashing your hotel room is easy. But being a Christian, that's a tough call. That's rebellion. He's right on all counts. It's a lot easier to get drunk and to fool around than it is to follow Jesus Christ. Let me say this another way. The world, this present age, has no quarrel with a compromising Christian. The world loves believers who go along to get along. It rewards Christians who look like everybody else, talk like everybody else, dress like everybody else, and act like everybody else. Say it another way. If you decide to go out from here and keep quiet about your faith, you'll get along just fine because the world loves a compromising Christian. But if you dare to stand up for what you believe, you'll end up just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You'll be standing while everyone else is kneeling. Nebuchadnezzar won't like you very much. And soon enough, you'll discover how hot the fiery furnace can be. But the good news is Jesus is with you in the fiery furnace. That's where he makes himself known. So, so question, do you want to rebel against the status quo? Become a disciple of Jesus Christ. You want to stand out. Anybody here want to be a renegade? Make Jesus the Lord of your life. You'll be going against the flow every single day. Remember, remember what worldliness is. It's living as if tomorrow will never come. So a friend sent me these words. This is a poem called Gray's Elegy. Written in an English churchyard. Just one stanza. The boast of heraldry, the pomp of power, and all that beauty, all that wealth e'er gave, awaits alike the inevitable hour. The paths of glory lead but to the grave. Clint Gresham is right. I'm going to die in this ring isn't going with me. Do you know the name David Wise? Maybe you've heard it. At the Winter Olympics in 2014, he won the gold medal for freestyle skiing in the halfpipe competition. He's 29 years old. He's married. He's got a daughter. He's got a son. He won the gold medal again in 2018. Now, after his first gold medal, NBC reporter Skylar Wilder wrote this, quote, David Wise is at the top of his sport. He's always smiling among his friends and competitors. However, he's not like the rest of the field. He is mature. 
He attends church regularly. He says he could see himself becoming a pastor a little later down the road. He and his wife are youth leaders at the Valley View Christian Fellowship in Reno, Nevada. And here's the kicker of that story. When NBC posted that story, here's the headline they put above it. David Wise's alternative lifestyle leads to Olympic gold. Did you get that? Alternative lifestyle. Now, in our day, that usually means something else. But that's okay. Following Christ is indeed the ultimate alternative lifestyle. We are not like the world. We never were. We never will be. And some of us as Christians need to get our priorities straight. We're going with the flow when we ought to be swimming upstream. Now, how many of you here know the name David Cassidy? If you're under 50, you have no idea who I'm talking about. But he, I'm a baby boomer. He was a baby boomer. Back in the 70s, David Cassidy was one of the stars of the Partridge family, a singer and an actor. And back in that day in the 70s, when they had those teen uh, Tiger Beat and Heartthrob magazines and all this, with the, with the, with the, yeah, they have foldouts, right? He was one of the pinup foldout guys, right? Uh, he died in November 2017. And after he died, his daughter reported that these were his last words. So much wasted time. Imagine that. So much wasted time. I think that may be the deepest fear for all of us. That we will come to the end of our one and only life. And look back and say, so much wasted time. In one of his sermons... Ravi Zacharias tells the story of a man by the name of Robert Jaffrey. He was born in the 1880s or 1890s. He was born in Toronto, Canada. He was born into a fortune. He was the heir to a huge newspaper empire and fortune. And his parents intended that young Robert would grow up and go into the family business and inherit it. And thus he was born with the proverbial silver spoon in his mouth. And that his, his life was assured. His wealth was assured from the day he was born. But somewhere, somewhere along the way, as a young man, he heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Somewhere along the way, he met somebody who shared the gospel with him, and he became a believer. The gospel message and its implications took over his life, and God called him. And even as a young man, he felt called to go to China, specifically to Hong Kong, and and, and preach the gospel over there. He even went so far as to learn Cantonese, which is the version of Chinese that they speak in the area around Hong Kong. And, And he announced to the world and to his parents he was going to go to Hong Kong. And spend his life in China. His parents were first shocked, disbelieving, dismayed, and finally angry. And they said to him, son, if you go, we're going to disinherit you. We're going to cut you completely out of the fortune. But he would not be dissuaded. And before he left Canada to go to China, he was contacted by Standard Oil of New York. Because they heard about him. There's a bright young man from Toronto who knows Cantonese. And they wanted to open a business in Hong Kong. So they, 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 they cabled him. And they said, 
Mr. Jaffrey, we want to hire you. And they named an exorbitant price, and he turned them down. And they wrote him again and raised the, uh, raised the offer, and he turned them down. And finally, they sent him this telegram. Robert Jaffrey, at any price. And he wired them back. Your salary is big. Your job is too small. And he went to China. And there he spent the rest of his life explaining the gospel, planting churches, helping translate the Bible into Cantonese. And in the 1930s, he spent his days in what they called Indochina. We call it today Vietnam. He spent his days there planting churches. When World War II broke out, he and all the missionaries in that region were rounded up and thrown into internment camps where the living conditions were quite difficult and became worse as the war went on. Eventually, of course, he was an older man now. He contracted some disease for which there was no treatment in the internment camp. And get this. He died two weeks before the end of the war. Question for you. Did he waste his life? You are permitted, you're permitted to give any answer you want to that question. Here is my answer. It depends on your perspective. If this life is all there is, if this age is all there is, then yeah, maybe he did waste his life. But if there is another age to come, there's another answer to that question. The great missionary C.T. Studd said it this way, only one life will soon be passed. Only What's done for Christ will last. If you live for the world, you will die with the world. If you live for Christ, you will discover the only life that matters. And so for the final time, Clint Gresham was right when he said, I'm going to die and this ring is not going with me. This world is passing away with all of its desires, but he who does the will of God abides forever. My final appeal, don't waste your one and only life. Put it to work in the service of Christ and his kingdom. And 10,000 times 10,000 years from now, you'll still be glad you did. We don't fit in. We never have. We never will. That's okay. Keep swimming upstream with Jesus. Father, sometimes we get weary swimming against the tide. Sometimes we feel overwhelmed by the power of the world around us and the lure of the world within us. We're seduced, we're squeezed, and sometimes we give in. Open our eyes, Lord. We pray, do whatever it takes to break our addiction to this dying world and replace it with a fervent love for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. This podcast is made possible through the support of listeners like you. 
Come see us on the internet at www.keepbelieving.com. We'd love to hear from you this week. Join us for the next podcast from Keep Believing Ministries.